The Legal Corner Podcast Series. Welcome to today's episode of The Legal Corner, a podcast which covers a variety of legal issues to keep you informed. Hosted by attorney at law Colin Dinoon and communication specialist Leonardo Torres. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Legal Corner podcast series. I am your host, Colin Dinoon, attorney at law, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Leonardo Torres, who's our resident communication specialist. Good day to you, Mr. Torres. Good day, Colin. How are you doing today? I am well, very excited about this episode. How about you? Not bad at all. I'm really looking forward to this episode because I think this is one that it tends to cross a lot of people's mind as they get into their adult life, you know? Of course. I mean, it's something that nobody wants to go through, but the statistics show that many persons do find themselves, unfortunately, having to deal with, with this topic. <laughs> Correct. So you may be wondering what would be our topic today. Well, in today's episode, we will be looking at divorce proceedings in Trinidad and Tobago. Divorce can be a traumatic experience for all those involved, and persons turn to their attorneys for guidance in navigating the intricacies of the legal system. Many persons may have questions as to when they can apply for a divorce, what is the ground for applying, and also how will assets be distributed. When there are children involved in the mix, things can become even more complicated. Joining us on the show to provide some insight today is Ms. Renee Iran. Ms. Renee Iran is an attorney at law and member of the Law Association of Trinidad and Tobago since 2018. She is the founder and lead attorney at law of Millennial Chambers located in Rio Claro. She practices in the areas of family law, wills and probate, Conveyancing, land law, and civil litigation. Welcome to the Legal Corner, Ms. Aaron. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you all for having me on your podcast. <laughs> it's great to have you. I know we're going to have a very interesting and lively discussion. Yes. <laughs> so, so jumping right into it, I wanted to tell us uh, upon what ground can a person file for divorce? Well, in Trinidad and Tobago, there is only one ground um, that you must satisfy the court in order to obtain a divorce. And that one ground is that the marriage has broken down irretrievably. Basically meaning that the, um, there is no hope of reconciliation. All right. And that ground will be supported by various various facts. Yes. Well, in order to prove this one ground, there are five facts that is laid out in the legislation that one can use to um, satisfy that one ground. So um, those five facts are that one, that your spouse committed adultery. Two, that your spouse's behavior is so unreasonable that you cannot continue to live with them. Three, that your spouse um, have you and your spouse have lived separate and apart for two years, and that the other party consents to the divorce, or that 
um, you and your spouse have lived separate and apart for five years or that your spouse has abandoned you. So those are um, five facts that we could rely on in order to satisfy the one ground that the marriage has broken down irretrievably. All right. Now, as it pertains to the statutory barriers, how do they apply to a divorce? Well, well, in order to obtain a divorce in Trinidad and Tobago, right, you need to be married for at least one year. So that, that is a major requirement. You wouldn't be able to obtain a divorce unless you have surpassed that one year in marriage. Also, um, the court would only hear a petition to divorce if um, either of the parties to the marriage are domiciled in Trinidad and Tobago or um, either one of the spouse um, are basically habitually resident in Trinidad and Tobago. All right. Now, can you talk to us a bit about the difference between divorce and annulment? Between a divorce and an annulment is that a divorce ends a legally valid marriage, while an, while an annulment formally declares a marriage to have been invalid. All right. So, as it pertains to um, this term that we tend to hear from time to time, um, it's, it's, I think I've really heard it for the first time within uh, the U.S. context, which is um, prenuptial arrangements, right? Um, I've never really heard about it within the Trinidad context. Um, can you talk about that and if it is indeed enforceable in Trinidad and Tobago? Well, as you said, well, prenuptial agreements are basically, you hear it more in um, the American system, but um, prenuptial agreements are not legally binding in Trinidad and Tobago. All right. Well, it's great to clarify that because I know some persons may make it as a joke based on what they would have seen on television that, you know, you should have a prenup. <laughs> so I, I'm glad that we were able to clarify that those are not legally enforceable. Now, upon the dissolution of a marriage, persons normally have various assets that need to be divided up there. There may be uh, financial assets, there may be physical assets. So talk to us a bit about the factors that the court take into account when dividing assets. Well, in deciding on how assets are to be divided between the parties of a marriage, um, the court takes into consideration all of the circumstances of the case, right, when, um, as it relates to the husband and, a wife. husband and wife. So the court considers the income of the parties, the, the ability to earn, the property and financial resources that each party has or likely to have in the near future, as well as their age. Also, how long they have been married, um, the standard of living that the parties would have enjoyed um, before the breakdown of the marriage, as well as um, whether either party has any physical or mental disabilities, as well as how each party contributed to the um, looking after the home and caring for the family um, during the marriage. The main aim of the court is um, in the process of setting um, the division of the property is to place the parties in, in as close as possible having regard to the behavior to being in the financial position um, that they would have been in if, if the marriage had not 
been um, broken down. How do things differ for a short marriage as opposed to a long marriage when it comes to dividing up assets? Well, as I uh, mentioned, um, the courts look at um, the entire the circumstance of the case, right, when deciding. So that is just one of the factors that the court takes into consideration, how long the marriage has been. So in totality, after they take into consideration um, all of the factors, then they will decide on how the property will be divided. Is there any particular factor that is weighed more heavily than others, or is it like just a mix of the factors that the court will assess together and then make a decision? into consideration all of the factors and those factors are found in section 27 of the matrimonial proceedings act right now we want to talk a bit about the matrimonial home because many times this is a primary asset that persons may have they may have worked for they may have acquired sometimes there may be a situation where the both parties would have contributed to the purchase price so that is one situation there may be a situation where someone may have inherited a home while being single and being then they were married later on. And there can also be a situation where the woman uh, was a stay-at-home mom. She would have contributed in terms of seeing about the children and, and doing chores and so on, but not directly to the purchase price. So I want you to talk to us a bit about the, the matrimonial home and how do the court go about um, dealing with the, the matrimonial home and upon the, um, the, the dilution of a marriage? Well, well, firstly, it should be noted that the matrimonial home falls um, as part of the matrimonial assets. So the same considerations, as I mentioned earlier, will be taken into consideration when deciding on how um, the matrimonial home, if it should be divided or um, whichever decision the court will make in that regard. I wanted us to zone in a bit on the situation where, for example, like I said, a woman would not have been able to make a financial contribution. Would that be used against her if she, you know, she didn't contribute money, but she contributed otherwise? Would that be used against her? No, that will actually be a positive factor for her because um, even though she did not contribute in a monetary um, way she still contributed as taking care of the family when it is the husband goes to work or whatever it may have been. So there was contribution, although it isn't monetary in value. So someone who may be a housewife or so, they wouldn't have anything to worry about per se, given that they may not have been able to make a, a direct financial contribution. <laughs> yes. Uh, that's good news. Okay, so Miss Aaron, I just have a question now. Is there any way at all the law provides for safeguarding persons' assets when indeed the marriage would have been based on, let's say, a false premise? Okay, so the reason why they got married, if it may have been due to for them for financial gain or anything like that, um, if that was a possibility. Right. Um, I know we are speaking about divorce, um, but a non-man can also come and um, play a part in that. If 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 it falls um, that someone misrepresented themselves um, prior to the marriage, right? So that is also one of the um, requirements um, 
that you can prove to the court in order to get an annulment, right? Um, but if it is you are speaking um, in terms of just the prenuptial agreement, um, if someone has a prenuptial agreement prior to the marriage, um, historically, the court used to regard it as contrary to public policy for a couple to have a contract prior to marriage, right? Um, they viewed it as it might be an encouragement for them to get out of the marriage. So I guess that's why, um, that's one of the reasons why it was, um, isn't enforceable. I believe um, in England it has been overturned. Let's talk a bit about children, because when children are in the mix, they also need to be considered because the court would not grant an absolute degree of divorce unless adequate provisions have been made for the children of the family. So how does the court deal with issues as it relates to custody and maintenance of children? When dealing with custody and maintenance, the court takes what is called the best interest of the child into consideration before making any, um, before deciding anything or finalizing the marriage. So um, in determining that, um, the court, certain factors the court takes into consideration are the ability of each parent, how will they be able to take care of the needs of the child. Um, they also take into consideration the wishes of the child, depending upon their age and their maturity and understanding, as well as the court um, also will inquire about the child's upbringing. So these are some of the factors that the court takes into consideration when deciding on um, who to grant custody to or um, making a maintenance order in regards to the children of the family. In recent times, within the that context, there have been um, applied raised by an association known as the Single Fathers Association within Trinidad and Tobago, whereby they tend to raise issues that um, sometimes they believe that the court sometimes would um, grant uh, custody more towards the woman more often than the men just because it's the woman, right? And sometimes they believe, based on what they are able to provide for that child and their time and the upbringing that they can bring forward to that child's life, um, that they would be, in their opinion, the best suited parent that the child should be in um, the custody of. My opinion would be that, well, the court, as I said, the court takes a lot of things into consideration. But the rule is that um, both parents has equal um, rights in relation to the child. Right. So when the court takes everything into consideration, depending upon each individual case, um, they usually will decide what would, as I said, the best interest of the child, which parent uh, would be more suited in order to take care of the, the child needs. So um, it, it really depends on each, <laughs> each individual case. All right. Now. As it, as it pertains to settlement agreements, what impact do you think this has on divorce proceedings? Well, settlement agreements might be the, an attorney's favorite, favorite part of the divorce proceedings because once a settlement agreement has come, um, so they have come, made an agreement in relation to um, settling. All that can be done is make a... Um, Make, for the court to make an order and to, to grant whichever agreement they came to and settle the matter, basically, and the, um, the divorce matter will end there. Talk to us a bit about variation. 
when you mention the maintenance orders that the court can make, if over time, as the children age, their expenses increase, can someone approach the court to have the orders varied? Yes, definitely. They can definitely um, proceed to the court to have a maintenance um, order increase or decrease, depending upon the circumstance of um, the party at the time. And if there is a failure to make timely payments concerning um, maintenance and so on, what would be the remedy of a, of a person who is, is not in receipt of um, payments that have been ordered? Well, there, there are various um, remedies available to parties um, who where um, one party is failing to pay maintenance. One of them might be for, for them to take out a warrant and they can get arrested. Um, there are also proceedings where the party can apply to the court um, to attach earnings to that person's salary. So the first instance, um, when um, they, they receive their salary, the, the money for the maintenance will be taken out and paid to the other party for, um, for the maintenance of the children. So those are just a few of the enforce, um, enforcement orders that can be made. In terms of that order that the one of the parties would have to bring forward in the court. Now, let's say, for example, the woman is raising this um, this issue in the court whereby she's trying to get um, money to raise the child. She's expecting from the child's father to, you know, give what, what is, what the court has ordered the child is um, ought to receive. So he's, he has failed to pay this amount. She, there's a warrant issued for him. He's arrested. Now it turns out that he is unemployed. Does the court have, any proceedings as to what could happen next? I mean, he would be, I would imagine, is it would he be jailed for a period of time? Is it that they're going to have to wait until he's able to find employment and then backdate those payments? What um, what's really the law as it pertains to that? I believe once um, if the party is arrested for failure to pay maintenance, um, I believe if it is he serves his time, um, the payment that he owed will no longer exist. Yeah, so I believe it will be written off. Okay, I'm actually quite surprised by that because I would have imagined that even though that time would have passed, it doesn't negate those bills that would have been incurred during that time that the child would have been probably attending school, needing any assets, uh, whether it be a laptop for school. You know, we're living right now in a time where that is a, a necessity in any child's education. So I, I'm quite um, taken aback by that answer. Does the court allow for anything like that in terms of the child's opinion on who should uh, be the parent that um, should be given uh, custody? Yes, definitely. So there, that is actually one of the factors that the court takes into consideration when making a decision as in relation to custody. Um, so... Depending upon the child's age, the court would, would be able to take um, their um, opinion into um, consideration when it is they are deciding on granting an order. This has been an interesting discussion, but all good things must come to an end. So, Ms. Erin, I would just like to thank you uh, for being a guest on our podcast. I know that we'll be seeing you sometime again in the future to render your expertise to us and we sincerely thank you and we are very appreciative of you being here today.
Dinaro, I don't know if you had anything you wanted to add. No, I, I actually echo your sentiments. It was a well, well, um, thorough discussion on divorce. And I like that Miss Aaron was very thorough in all of her answers. And I think she left no stone unturned. And I really, again, would echo your sentiments by thanking her um, so much for her time and, you know, giving and sharing her wealth of information. Thank you all so much for having me and giving me this opportunity to appear <laughs> and share my, um, my expertise in this matter. So this has brought us to the end of another episode of the Legal Corner podcast series. Remember to check us out on social media. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for listening to the Legal Corner podcast series. For more information, please visit us at our Facebook or Instagram pages or send your comments to thelegalcornerpodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.